Welcome to our newest Hearts Unite the Globe hug patrons. Annie Olchek, we sincerely appreciate your support. Thank you for joining our community and making a difference through Patreon. Judy Miller, thank you for being our first Buzzsprout supporter for Bereave But Still Me. Buzzsprout started a new program where you can actually support the podcast of your choice. There are so many ways you can support Hug. All you have to do is visit our website, heartsunitetheglobe.com, to see how you too can help empower, educate, and enrich the lives of individuals in the CHD and bereaved communities. Thank you all for your continued support. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna, featuring your host, Anna Jaworski. Our program is a program designed to empower the CHD or congenital heart defect community. Our program may also help families who have children who are chronically ill by bringing information and encouragement to you in order to become an advocate for your community. Now, here is Anna Jaworski. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna. I am Anna Jaworski and the host of Heart to Heart with Anna. Our theme this season is congenital heart defects around the globe. And our show today is CHDs Around the Globe, a worldwide event. Today's show is a very special show featuring a guest born outside of the USA, but saved by the kindness of surgeons in the United States of America. Newman Shahid is currently a 29-year-old male who knows that the right things came together for his survival. Newman's parents were told that Tetralogy of Fallot, or TOF, had no cure in Pakistan in 1987, and that any chance of survival would be in either the USA or the UK. It was with some luck, his parents' hard work and the kindness of others, that he was able to come to the USA for treatment and repair of his TOF. Growing up, he has had to face his share of challenges, multiple surgeries, and all that that entails. But all this created a burning desire for him to pursue a degree in medicine. He wants to give back for all that he has received. He has progressed professionally working as a CDC contractor for the Division of Global Migration and Quarantine during the 2014 Ebola outbreak, an EMT for Fairfax County, Virginia, and a clinical assistant while earning a Bachelor of Science in Biology and a Master's in Public Health Policy. He uses his story as a means to lift others up and give hope as he feels is his destiny. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna Newman. Thanks for having me, Anna. Well, I'm so happy to have you here, and I'm so interested to talk to you because this is the first time that I've had a guest who's on the show for this season who lived outside the U.S. but came to the U.S. for surgery. We did have another gentleman from Pakistan, Farhan Ahmed, and he is working to establish the very first children's hospital in Pakistan. So I'm curious how it was that your parents brought you to the U.S. Was there a foundation that did this, or was this just all on your parents' own? Well, Anna, to be honest, my story is more of connecting the dots in retrospect. It all started in Lahore, Pakistan, and I was in my mother's arms doing some shopping for her family and whatnot. And then right across the street, there was a medical school, and four medical students had come across, um, saw me, I guess, and I was smiling at them. And they said, your son is very handsome. Could you please show him to a doctor? You know, my mom naturally got a bit offended. You know, who the heck these guys are telling me, you know, take my son to a doctor. Apparently, it was my cyanotic presentation that got to them. Well, we found out later. And later that night, my dad and my mom said, we should take him to a doctor. They took me to a local doctor, and they found out that I do, in fact, have some sort of abnormality in the heart. They weren't sure because they didn't have enough testing equipment in Lahore, Pakistan. 
Pakistan. So they referred me to one of the best university hospitals in Pakistan. It's based in Karachi, Pakistan, named by Aga Khan University Hospital. And over there, they found out I have to crowd your fellow, and I had a few months to live, actually. Oh, wow. Only a few months to live. That must have been so frightening for your parents. Well, it was in, in some respect. I hate to put it this way, but given the financial constraints and everything, we were told that the only cure was outside Pakistan and either U.S. or U.K., given the technological advancements. Part of my family sort of did give up, but my dad and my mom, obviously, no, no parent would. They started to dig a bit and stuff and see what they could find. My dad worked in a bank in Pakistan at the time, and an American client came to him. They started talking, and ideas were shared. It turns out this gentleman wanted to help my dad. And he said, I want to help you meet me outside business hours. So it turns out this gentleman was an executive for Lions Club of Asian Affairs, and he told my dad of this program called the Children of the World Program. And they apparently sponsored children by selecting on a case-by-case lottery basis each year from country. And somehow my dad applied, and I was selected for 1987 from Pakistan to come to the U.S. And this program actually was underwritten by President Reagan at the time, and also the hospital that sponsored it directly was Deborah Heart Lung Center in Trenton, New Jersey. So that's uh, actually how I came to the U.S., Wow, that is an amazing story. Oh my gosh. I actually know about Deborah and how they were working to help children from other countries. I don't know if that program is still up and running. Do you? You know, to be honest, I knew it was running for some time, and I know they do have a lot of outreach. I'm not sure if the specific firm that I was entered in is still there, but they do a lot of outreach. They're quite a bit privately funded, so it's all through donors. I'm on the Deborah Facebook page all the time talking to parents, so they still do it. I'm just not sure if they do the exact same program, but it's a great facility. And I came to the U.S., got treatment very well afterwards, and my sister was born in the U.S., actually, with Down syndrome, unfortunately. She had a genetic disorder, and she was with Down syndrome, and to answer your question, we stayed in the U.S. because given our family constraints, my sister wouldn't have been able to live in Pakistan given her condition as well. So we've been here since 1987 as a result. Wow. Okay. So this was a tremendous change for your family. First yeah, of all, yeah. finding the help for you, but then having uh-huh. to move here. Were your parents given visas so they could yeah. work here? Yeah. Yeah. My dad actually worked for, I believe it was Chase Man- Manhattan Bank at the time in Pakistan, and he got an official transfer from Chase Manhattan Bank to New York City in Flushing, Queens, New York. That's where you work for quite a bit after coming here. So it was a transition. My mother did not know English, but Deborah made us feel very welcome because one of the doctors on our case, Dr. Chaya Bali, she's of Indian origin, and we speak a very similar language that's 90% identical. That really helped a lot for my mother speaking the same language. Yeah, absolutely. Wow, this is really a miraculous story. I'm just so touched by the kindness of so many people to really take you in and hug you to themselves so that they could make your family whole. I'm so impressed. So you've had multiple surgeries. You had to have some additional surgeries for left pulmonary artery stenosis. Did that also happen at Deborah? Partially, yes. So growing up, I was a very hyper kid. My mother had to really calm me down. I would always go to the park, run around. I was very robust in my activities. But growing up during PE, first grade, second grade, and onwards, teachers started reporting them on pants a lot during exercises. And everyone thought, I'm growing up, I'll grow out of it. But when it came time to around 13, 14 years old, it became a concern because because it started to affect my daily activities in life. 
and we had an evaluation done every year like I did when I went to Devora every year and Dr. Bali said that you have a shrinkage of your LPA and we need to intervene now. So the first course of action was to do a angioplasty catheterization with a balloon procedure and that was done at Devora Heart Lung Center. Unfortunately, that was not as successful as they had liked so they referred me to Boston's Children's Hospital the following year with Dr. Lafrac, and he did a stent emplacement, and that was much more successful as a result. Did that change your activity level? Let's put it this way. I played cricket. I got into boxing and weightlifting afterwards, and I still do it, and I feel fine. I feel very much I'm able to do everything. The only restriction I had growing up was contact sports like football, for example. Mm -hmm. I wasn't allowed to do those things. I wasn't allowed to lift more than 100 pounds up to a certain age. Now I'm 29. I'm into weightlifting, so I do lift quite a bit. But growing up, I had strict limitations on physical activity, and rightly so. I would get tired. I would pant, and I would have my mouth open. I wasn't able to carry a conversation with mom after playing at the park. So that was how they really found out. Okay. Wow. Okay. Well, it sounds to me like your parents then kind of became U.S. citizens. Yep. Yep. Okay. We are are U.S. citizens. Very proud of it. Very thankful for the USA for what they've done for my family and I. And we're giving back every way we can. Growing up, I actually wanted to join the military myself and join the armed forces. But obviously, I was told very early on that's not going to happen given my condition. So that kind of broke my heart a bit. So this is another way of giving back, pursuing a career in medicine. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a great way to give back. So what is the biggest challenge that you have faced regarding health care for yourself as you've been growing up. Now that you're an adult yourself, you're probably not on your parents' insurance. Is that a challenge for you? You're right. After 26, I was off the insurance. And for one thing, I was lucky enough to be at Deborah on a case-by-case basis. Well, when we first came to this country, obviously there were financial constraints for us. We lived off of paycheck to paycheck, and Deborah was very kind to us initially and still are. The biggest challenge for us was traveling, to be honest. There are not a lot of congenital heart centers, I feel, in America. Personally, it was because when we lived in Flushing, Queens, New York, we had to travel at least four hours or five hours every six months growing up. And having my dad take off of work, it was a bit of a hassle. And then the insurance thing after 26, it's become a hassle, but I'm resourceful in this sense. With the advent of having the internet, you can look up doctors and stuff. So to answer your question, yes, it's a hassle, but... I've worked in the medical field for quite a bit, so I have a lot of resource in that regard. So I'm a little biased when it comes to this answer because I have a lot of friends who are doctors and who pointed me in the right direction how to get adequate resources growing up. I mean, I follow a primary care doctor, I follow a cardiologist right now who's been following up with me, and so far everything's been fine for me. Well, that's great. It's good to see that because you are in the medical field, you do kind of have an in there and people can help you to make sure that you are getting the health insurance you need and you are getting a care you need. Well, that's a positive note for us to end on. We have to take a real quick commercial break, but don't leave yet, listeners, because coming up next, we're going to talk to Newman about why he decided to study medicine. I think we already have a hint about that, but we're going to go into a little bit more depth about that and what population he intends to work with as soon as we come back from this commercial break. Anna Jaworski has written several books to empower the congenital heart defect or CHD community. These books can be found at Amazon.com or at her website, www.babyheartspress.com. Her bestseller is The Heart of a Mother, an anthology of stories written by women for women in the CHD community. Anna's other books, My Brother Needs an Operation, The Heart of a Father, and Hypoplastic Left Heart Syndrome, A handbook for parents will help you understand that you are not alone. Visit babyheartspress.com to find out more. 
Welcome back to our show, Heart to Heart with Anna, a show for the congenital heart defect community. Today's show is CHDs Around the Globe, Children of the World, and we're talking with Newman Shahid. Newman is an amazing young man born with Tetralogy of Fallot in Pakistan in 1987, and he had to leave his homeland to receive life-saving surgery, and not only did he leave his homeland for the surgery, but his whole family had to relocate to the United States. It's a phenomenal story. So, Newman, I love to see stories about people who pay it forward or give back. And in fact, that's how I found you. I was reading a post that you had written on Tom Glenn, who is another adult CHD survivor's page. And so that's how I found out a little bit about your story. So why don't you tell us a little bit more about why you decided to study medicine? Well, Anna, believe it or not, growing up, medicine as a whole did not come to me as a career, naturally. Part of the reason is because I was young, and I wasn't exposed to it the way I should have. Some things happen for certain reasons. But in 11th grade, I was really into IT, actually. I love computers. I love fixing things, breaking things, reverse engineering, you name it. And I used to get in <laughs> trouble all the time for it. <laughs> so technology was a big thing for me growing up. And in 11th grade, I had what I call a failure in one of my courses as a blessing in disguise, honestly. So I was enrolled in a course called Supercomputer Systems Technology. It was hosted at Chantilly Academy for upper-level students. And I took that course. And at the end of the course, you take an examination, the IT portion, called A-plus certification exam. And I failed that exam by 1%. Though I passed the course, I failed the examination. Oh, no! Uh, yes. But no, there's good news. There's good news, I promise. <laughs> uh, so in 12th grade, I was supposed to take a course, the next one, up in the same academy, but unfortunately, because I didn't pass the certification by 1%, I had to pick something else. So lo and behold, I got enrolled on the wicket list. I was automatically selected for medical systems technology for 12th grade. And in that course, I excelled very much so. I ended up being in the top 10 students in the class, and I was selected to go to see open heart surgery in Nova Fairfax Hospital. And my dad actually went with me as a chaperone for the students. So when we went in there and it was Dr. Lefrac who was the surgeon, and he was operating. Right when the surgeon started talking and telling us, and he you know, made his first incisions, I looked at my dad, and he started to cry, to be honest. Um, and I was confused about what's going on with him. I thought he maybe he was having a panic attack or something. He just, it was too much for him. I realized that whole episode reminded him of my episode. Right. Right. And then I started to dive into the sciences myself, really learn about my condition, what was wrong, with what is tetralogy of phylloly, what's LP stenosis. Right now, Anna, as you and I are talking, a lot has to go right to maintain and sustain life. The SA nodes needs to talk to the AV node and the heart has to contract. And being able to regulate these processes from a technical and tangible standpoint is why I'm doing this. And given the fact that there are actually four medical students who initially told my mother that your son is ill, it sort of hit the point home. And believe it or not, I leave this up for the viewers to decide what it was. My parents actually went back to the same medical school to thank those four medical students. That thank you so much you saved the mom's life. Uh-huh. Funny thing is, is that that school was actually not in session at the time. There was no medical school sessions going. It was summer break. So who those four medical students were, we still don't know today. We never met them. And the dean looked at my mom, dumbfounded that, what the heck are you talking about? There was no medical school in session at the time. Wow. So I don't know who they were. Whoever they are, I'll let you decide. In the first <laughs> it sounds to me like they were your guardian angels. Yeah, you know, <laughs> exactly. I mean, they still are. Mm -hmm. But that whole idea. So I want to keep the ball rolling on that because I think that someone up there God really wanted me alive for a reason, and I want to keep mm -hmm. that circle going, so that's why I'm choosing what I'm choosing. 
I just love that. That's a beautiful story. So where have you been going to school to get your degrees? And where do you plan to do your residency? Or where are you going to go so that you can become a doctor? Well, I have another story behind this, too. So I went to George Mason University initially in Fairfax, Virginia. I, I got a bachelor's of science in biology, and I did well in it. And I went to St. George's University in Grenada, West Indies. I got a master's in public health from their policy. And that's actually where I met Tom. Tom Glenn. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, he's in medical school. And I didn't actually um, tell you this, but I was actually in medical school as well in St. George's University as a student. And down there, unfortunately, I got very ill initially. I was having some respiratory issues and I had to come back and got treatment. And then I went back again and then I got dengue hemorrhagic fever. Oh my um, I goodness. Got, I got very ill down there and then I came back for treatment again. And the third time I went and this time I had same respiratory issues, coughing a lot, just a lot of different things. I had to be admitted in the hospital down there in Grenada for three days. Oh, my goodness. That does not sound like the climate for you, my dear. Yes. So <laughs> I came back and I started putting my head together with my physician, my medical team. And it was determined, yes, it was in fact a molding on the tropical environment that was getting to my health quite a bit. Mm-hmm. and it really took a toll on me. So I did get well. I took some preventive interventions, and right when I was about to go back, my sister, who I mentioned, who had Down syndrome, she acquired a MRSA infection, and she got pneumonia, and she went on life support. And for three weeks, we fought and fought and fought, and we made a difficult decision to take her off of life support, and she passed away. Oh, my and, goodness. I'm so sorry. Yeah, she passed away, unfortunately. And again, I spoke to my doctor, my primary care doctor, and he sat me down, and everything was sort of falling to place place for the right reasons and we decided that it was best to stay here and also the fact that to be honest I actually started in an MD school I'm not sure if viewers may or may not know this but there's a distinction between MD versus DO and while my sister was in the hospital I spoke to many physicians so my interest actually shifted to DO osteopathic medicine mainly because DO philosophy is more of that they look at the person as a whole they look at the organs are connected as one unit and they look, it's a more holistic approach. And given how my life has been sustained over time and my sister's illnesses and stuff, it really motivated me to point into that direction. And that's why I'm actually pursuing a medical degree in osteopathic medicine for that reason. Okay, well, that makes sense. That, that makes perfect sense that you would do that. So where are you studying that? I'm actually in the application process right now. I just took my MCAT. I had to take it again, and I'm hopefully going to be hearing soon. Oh, well, Uh, good. Well, I'll keep my fingers crossed. You're going to have to keep us posted on how you do. Of course, of course. Oh, my goodness. This is so exciting. So as a DO, can you serve the same populations as somebody with an MD? Of course. In fact, being a DO is advantageous, in my opinion, because they use a technique called OMT, and it's basically manual manipulation of the body. Say, for example, if you go into a doctor's office right now, MD, and you're having some back pain, and you get diagnosed with sciatica or piriformis syndrome, that's nerve pain pinching down to your leg. And sometimes some physicians and MD would give you some therapeutic medicine, for example. A DO would first interview you holistically, know what exactly are you doing? What's causing this? Really understand the dynamics of your life and then manipulate your muscle and your skeletal system to see if there can be intervention given that way. And more so, DOs also focus on the body as a whole. So I think that with the added effect of using OMT and the whole body philosophy, it's actually advantageous, in my opinion, to go to a DO because they're really diving on the idea of prevention. So usually with patients who have sciatica and piriformis syndrome, I've seen that they're actually overweight. 
and that's the main cause of sometimes patients who have that condition because there's a lot of tissue mass hanging in the front and that causes the back to spasm. So you have a lot of pressure on the vertebra. So a DO would actually go into dietary changes, prevention in that sense, in addition to addressing your sciatic. Okay. Okay. Well, that's quite interesting. I didn't know all of that. Well, we're going to have to take another quick commercial break, but don't leave yet, folks, because when we come back, we're going to talk to Newman about the jobs that he's already had and the lessons that he's learned from them. We'll be back right after this brief commercial break. Anna Jaworski has spoken around the world at congenital heart defect events, and she is available as a keynote or guest speaker for your event. Go to hearttoheartwithanna.com to learn more about booking Anna for your event. You can also find out more about the radio program. Keep up to date with CHD resources and information about advocacy groups, as well as read Anna's weekly blog. Anna wants you to stay well-connected and participate in the CHD community. Visit hearttoheartwithanna.com today. Welcome back to our show, Heart to Heart with Anna, a show for the congenital heart defect community. Today's show is CHDs Around the Globe, Children of the World, and we're talking with Newman Shahid. Newman is an amazing young man born with Tetralogy of Fallot in Pakistan in 1987, and he and his entire family left their homeland to come to the United States so he could receive life-saving surgery. And now, Newman is pursuing a degree in medicine as a means to give back to others for the tremendous gifts that he has received in his life. And Newman, I am just so impressed with everything that you have told me so far and with all the different jobs that you've had in your life from working with the CDC to being a paramedic to being a physician's assistant. My goodness, you've done quite a few different jobs. So can you tell us the most important lesson that you've learned from all of these different jobs that you've had? Yeah, I mean, Anna, I think that the biggest thing I've taken from my jobs and my different hats I've worn is that we take health for granted, and we shouldn't, because one thing gone wrong in this homeostatic balance of what we call life, and it can really bring turmoil. Something as simple as a genetic deletion. And I bring this up at this point because we're talking about congenital heart defects, and I actually researched this. My parents were first cousins back in Pakistan. This was very common. They're cousins and they're married. Tetralogy of Fellow has a genetic component, actually. There has been proven point that there's a micro deletion at certain locations in the chromosomes. And same thing with Down syndrome that my sister had. So I've read research papers on this. So there was a strong genetic component. There, and I think people need to be well informed about this whole genetics idea. And I say this because... Certain communities, for example, have disease prevalences that are higher than others. For example, if you take the Asian community, if you take the African-American community, diabetes, hypertension, these are all genetic predispositions that are unfortunately in the gene pool for them. And these are communities that I stress over and over personally that I think need to watch out as far as diet and exercise. So over the years of different things I've done, I've seen that some folks definitely take their health for granted. And that's why I did an MPH because I really want to understand the dynamics of our healthcare system and how it can be improved, not just from a policy standpoint, because very frankly, I know we really politicalize this idea of healthcare reform, and I don't want to get into that. Personally, I think that's not for me. I think true healthcare reform starts in the kitchen. You are what you eat. And mm-hmm. I think that over the years, the different patients I've spoken to, the volunteer events I've done, I've spoken to different people and I've driven the point home, make healthier lifestyle choices. If you know you are from a certain community, just be mindful of that. If you're going to a McDonald's, eat a salad. If you're going to go out for dinner tonight, just look at the low caloric intake, you know, because you need to really know your body, I feel. And I think that part of it is lack of education in respect to health that the person has. So I think that true health reform starts from the kitchen and people need to be better informed because we do take our health for granted. 
I think you're right. I think that we do really need to look at what we're eating. They say you are what you eat. And I think there's some truth to that. And you're right. I think if we have a good diet and exercise, exercise on a regular basis is really important. But you're also right in that there are some diseases, illnesses that occur in certain areas. Marrying first cousins does tend to lead into problems, just like marrying brothers and sisters are too close to the gene pool. It seems to cause different kinds of problems. And that's why in the United States, in most states, you're not allowed to marry your first cousin. It's against the law. And it's because of the genetic defects that we were seeing happen. So I think that there is something to knowing about genetically what you're predisposed to. I think that's real good advice. So what's the biggest challenge that you've had in becoming a physician? It sounds to me at first like it was just not making it in that school because you continue to get sick. But is there some other challenge that you've had to face? Personally, for me, I can only speak for myself, is actually coming back from the medical school initially. And I say that from a perspective, I had some great friends down there. I had some really good friends, close ties, and it was difficult to come back initially because I've done well there. I did really well down there. I was enjoying the curriculum side of it. But when I came back, I realized I calmed down. I realized what's happening and my sister had passed away. And I really gave some thought. And my grandfather actually in the Guinness Book of Records for his writing. And I actually like, like to write a lot myself from time to time. And he always said that you should do something that represents your values. And mm-hmm. I feel that choosing osteopathic medicine represents my values in the sense that my mom and dad, we have an extensive story. And I wish to see patients be treated that way, that you want to understand the whole dynamic of the family, everything. So I think osteopathic medicine really represents that. So yes, I was initially challenged by the idea of coming back, looking at Facebook friends, how they're doing now in their clinical rotation. So while I'm studying for an MCAT, it was difficult initially. I'm not mm-hmm. going to lie. But it also made me humane in that sense that it made my resolve much stronger. I'm more zealous to go back into medicine than I was before. So to everyone out there, never give up. I feel that if God brings you to it, he'll get you through it. And, <laughs> you know, there's a reason why I, I feel that I was kept alive. So I'm excited for that. I'm excited for what the future holds for me. And in fact, when I came back, another positive thing that happened is actually I met my fiance while being here, this process of being here. I feel that if I was in Grenada, still in medical school, I wouldn't have met her. So I'm actually going to hopefully get married soon. So that's the other good thing. So I chose a career that represents my values. And also I got to meet the girl of my dreams as a result. (laughs) Well, it sounds like everything happened for a reason with you. Don't you think, Newman? I remember when we first talked, I said that my life is about connecting the dots. Mm -hmm. That's a very, that's a very first thing I told you, and I think it really is connecting the dots. And I know that 10 years later, I'll be connecting more dots and 20 years later. So yes, you're right. Everything has happened for a reason. Even you and I speaking right now, I feel there's some higher thing going on here. That you know, I, I think, think so that. too, because I think you're probably going to inspire somebody who isn't sure what to do with their life, and they're going to hear your story, and I think they're going to be inspired. So we only have a minute left. What advice do you have for parents of children born in other countries that lack the medical care needed for them to survive? I think that with the advent of technologies these days, Facebook, social media, I think that we need to really focus on that. Because I think if you're, say, for example, again, in Pakistan or in some other country where the resources are not there, social media is a powerful, powerful tool. Just for example, look at how we met. Two people coming together for a common cause. That's what makes this thing beautiful. So the advice I can give to parents is that educate yourself, look at your options, and really use the power of social media because there are resources out there that, that can help 
you get the treatment that your child needs. You're absolutely right. I think that's excellent advice. In fact, because of the radio show, a mother from Africa actually wrote me a note saying, can you help me? I'm a single mother. My son was born with a heart defect and they tell me he's going to die unless he has surgery soon. And can you help me? And I said, I'm just a mom. I'm a mom who does a radio show, but I'm not a doctor. But I knew two other gentlemen from Africa, and I said, maybe one of these gentlemen can help. And as a matter of fact, one of the men that I reached out to was able to reach out yet again because there still isn't health care in Africa that is able to help the young man as much as he needed. But they were able to reach out to another organization. And they were able to fly him to the United States. And as a matter of fact, they flew him to Dallas, Texas. And I drove up because I also live in Texas. I drove a couple of hours so that I could meet this mother and I could meet her son. And that never would have happened if it hadn't been for social media. So I think we probably can't save every single child. Not every story will have a happy ending like that. But I never thought that my radio show might help people to reach out and connect so that we could save a life. So I think you're absolutely right. The power of social media, the power of the internet is just unbelievable. Well, thank you so much for coming on today, Newman. This has been so much fun. Likewise. And honestly, thank you so much for doing what you're doing. I've always wanted to share my story with everyone in some regards. So using this platform, I just wish you continue to do what you do, flourish and get the word out there. And I hope to hopefully inspire someone and hopefully get back into medical school and finish my dream. Well, I know you will. And you and Tom will have to come on and do a show about becoming doctors. That would be such a fun show, don't you think? I agree. I agree. <laughs> I'll coordinate with him and with you, of course, and we'll play by ear. Then. Okay, that sounds like that sounds like a date. Okay. Well, that does conclude this episode of Heart to Heart with Anna. Thanks for listening today. Please come back next week on Tuesday at noon Eastern time for a brand new episode. Please find and like us on Facebook. Check out our website, HeartToHeartWithAnna.com, and our Cafe Press Boutique. Follow our radio show on Blog Talk Radio and Spreaker. Please share this information with others. We know that congenital heart defects touch people all. All over the globe. But remember, my friends, you are not alone. Thank you again for joining us this week. We hope you've been inspired and empowered to become an advocate for the congenital heart defect community. Heart to Heart with Anna, with your host, Anna Jaworski, can be heard every Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern Time. We'll talk again next week. Mm-hmm.